are you experienced? Have you ever been experienced? And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 351, a.k.a. Year 7, Week 48, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with MC, Ed KS. And since this is not your regularly scheduled show, we're doing it a bit early because, hey, Christmas is Saturday when we would normally be doing the show, and I'm sure everyone else has other family obligations. So if you're catching this live, Congratulations. Uh, if you're catching this on the podcast, we will usually record this uh, on Clubhouse uh, Saturday afternoon around 4 p.m. Eastern time. So if you want to join us live and participate, you can do so there. Uh, find the club on Clubhouse, The Anarchist Experience, or at me, Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H. And then click the little button uh, to let you in when we start the live show. Uh, that being said, how are you guys doing? Merry early Christmas or whatever it happens to be, whatever you're celebrating. Oh, Merry Christmas. Um, is, yeah, I'm doing great. I'm doing and, great. And I, we're, I know you're like in the middle of Christmas dinner, so I thank you for participating anyway, KS, um, or early dinner, wherever you happen to be. Um, but you, MC, as soon as I came on, you said, have you seen The Matrix? And this thing is not even like really out yet, right? It was supposed to be like a Christmas release, um, but I did. I torrented it, and I watched it. <laughs> I made sure. Like so, as soon as I logged into the torrent sites, I was like, this is available. I went, okay, I'm watching this tonight after work. Like that's, that's my evening planned out right there. Uh, so I got, I got a late yeah. start, but I did finish it before I went to bed last night. Um, the matrix, uh, resurrection as it were. Um, and the, the, the question always comes up as it relates to this show is like, okay, what's the social commentary and what perspective are we going to take on it? Um, and woke culture seems to be all that's in the news right now. And the, uh, the early reviews, like the preliminary reviews said that it was inundated with all of this, uh, you know, woke culture, nonsense, BS. And you experienced that a little bit MC. Towards sure. The I did. Um, okay. so, so I saw it on, uh, HBO max, um, within 20 minutes of it showing up on HBO Max, I was watching it. Um, so that was about 10 o'clock or 10.20 my time on uh, the 21st in Hawaii. But it's the, you know midnight at, on, on the, the West Coast yeah. when, it, when it came out. So um, that's when I watched it as soon as I could. Um, I was really excited for it. Um, but at the same time, I, I knew there was going to be some woke stuff in there. Um, I wasn't really looking for it because I like generally it's kind of like when I watch Star Wars, you know, it's just, I, I just want to have a good time. I don't really want to yes. uh, get offended or anything. You know, it's you like, can choose to be offended if you want to, or you can just right. like sit back and enjoy the movie, man. Yeah. And so there, there was a couple parts that made me go, uh, you know, the whole for, uh, you know, hand to the forehead, uh, emoji there. But <laughs> other than that, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, it, 
it was it was more um, like creative. They were they were trying to add new concepts into it. Um, and which, so, which given the timeline, kind of makes sense. Sure, sure. And and if you know anything about the the cartoons or the animatrics, um, they they put in a lot of those themes in into the new movie. Okay. Um, so, I've seen those, so that, but it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. So so it was pretty cool to see how they how they added those and and I, I think to me a lot of the coolest parts they they just kind of threw in there and it was just kind of cool and and they weren't uh so central i guess it was just like i don't know like they they explained something about the uh the machines having a war and it's like that that was about it you know it's like oh they had a war it's like okay. they could have went into a lot more detail about that but um well yeah okay so to be fair the movie was already pushing two and a half hours sure, sure. and so, so yeah I, and and that's the thing like if I, I think let's let's put it this way. I think if there was somebody that that wasn't woke that that made the movie, it could have taken a, an entirely different direction, and could have been a lot better, uh, and still had all the cool stuff in it that it that it did. So okay, but you know, props to them for for putting all the cool stuff in it that made it worth watching. Um, but I think the story could could have used a little bit of work. <laughs> okay, I want to say that's fair. I don't. I didn't have that similar problem or concern. Um, but much like, much like, you know, the star Wars thing, right. The, 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 uh, machine war could theoretically be its own spinoff animated mm-hmm. series or something, right? Like yeah. there is room to explore that in a different, in a different venue. Yeah. And, and maybe they'll make a, you know, a video game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that put a lot of that in there. Who yeah, knows? that would work too. <laughs> There's some, the matrix has a video game and some people consider that like part of the canon. That's, you know, up for debate right. as well. So I enjoyed it. I think for me personally, um, there was, there was a healthy balance of nostalgia and those new concepts that you described, right? Mm-hmm. Like I went, you know, I, I got a little teary eyed a little bit when they, when they had the, you know, the flashback moments to the original one, because Hey, the original one was awesome. Um, right. Right. And not looking for the woke stuff. Right, I think a lot of that aspect of it weaved into the new story fairly seamlessly. Uh, I know you disagree with me uh, with with that uh, toward the end of the movie. You said you were taken out of it, but for the most part, the a lot of the I think a lot of what people were complaining about was one little section of the movie, right? And without you know, with I don't want to say spoilers. But it's the it's the meta part of the movie when they're discussing what's to become of the next video game iteration of the Matrix, mm-hmm. right? That's like that's the most meta part of the movie, and it doesn't last very long, right? It's just it's that section of the movie that I think a lot of people were you know up in arms about going like oh this is just you know it's so self referential, and when they mention you know like Warner Brothers uh, not funding it for whatever reason I'm like yeah that's funny. Right, because it's a Warner Brothers flick, man. Like they're they're poking <laughs> yeah. fun at the boss. That's you know that's funny. Yeah, and so. and who knows what their real uh, thoughts about it were? You know, were they really happy to make this movie, or were they actually making it just because Warner Brothers wanted to make money? You know, yeah. So, and um, who, ca- who cares? You know, yeah. 
I'm sure. I'm sure the uh, Lana Wachowski or what uh, she's she was the director of this, right? Like, is wealthy enough where if she wanted to turn it down, she could have turned it down, and Warner Brothers would have pushed forward with some other director or producer, and it wouldn't have been as good. But then that would have well, been the narrative. Well, yeah, but that's that's also kind of the the threat that that Warner Brothers would have used somebody else. And so that she was basically forced to do it, uh, you know, to, you to save okay. it from being worse than it was. So, and I don't, I don't really believe that either. So I, yeah, I don't believe I go like, okay, have somebody else make it right. Everyone knows yeah, either, this, you know. either you want to make it or you don't like, yeah. you can't, you can't force somebody to make a movie or yeah. you know, make, Oh, a, you're going to destroy bad, my baby, my franchise. Bad. No, yeah. you, you had it. It's done. <laughs> they can ruin it all they want. <laughs> Next time, don't sell on the intellectual property so early on in the process. Right. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it was worth watching even twice. Um, there, there's still some, like, the, the pacing of the movie, not the pacing so much as the, the motivations for the characters. Like, at one point, uh, Neo teams up with you know, Smith or something, sort of, and it was, like, it felt awkward. And yes, it was it was hard to think about, like, like, why does this matter, and where is this going? And so that that it confused me so much that I was just like, okay, I guess I just have to watch it. And just you know, it'll yeah. tell me. You know, I, I might agree with you there. That seemed to be the biggest MacGuffin. Yeah, because you know, for the first three movies, they were like arch enemies. Like that was the nemesis. Um, and so to come up to just randomly like, and he was still kind of the nemesis, right? Because in the movie spoilers um he was uh, he he's um neo's business partner right like so they're they're interlinked in the matrix world you know in some form or fashion and some some form of adversarial relationship when it comes to decision making within the matrix construct so then to come out and just be like okay i'm on your side but then i'm not right just you know <laughs> it it needed more it needed more exploration than i think they gave it time for that so that one i would agree with but i i also man that's nitpicky a little bit sure sure which is and there was a a lot of uh, you know characters and a lot of dialogue and a lot of action and a lot of everything and so and it really did you know pack a lot in in two and a half hours so yep there you know the the the, uh, that would be another i guess nitpicky thing is there was a lot of characters um who seemed to, to be important like parallel roles as the original but yeah. didn't get the backstory enough of it actually to care the, the first time i watched it my my biggest complaint was uh niobe um she's the uh general uh she's the authority figure in the underworld right uh, i forget what it's called io or whatever IO. right io like you know on off binary yeah yeah and um i didn't i didn't appreciate her she didn't convince me that she was a good, you know, authoritarian figure. Like uh, everybody pretty much ignored her. And it's like, <laughs> she wouldn't have a position like that if she, if everybody ignored her all the time. You know? Yeah. Fair. Um, and, and so it's kind of the same problem they had in, in, in the star Wars, uh, you know, with the purple hair lady to, to me, you know, they, they have unconvincing women holding uh, positions of authority. And it's just like, nobody nobody likes them so don't okay. put them in there you know like pick okay. somebody else now if if that's if we're going to talk about that as being a patriarchy thing 
do you think that a male character holding the same role would have landed differently with you or the audience? It doesn't matter male or female. It's just the, the, okay. the I think it was, it's, I think it's a lot of it is the director um, that is either making a bad casting decision or just bad directing. You know, it's like, I don't know what their view of uh, powerful women is like. They did pretty good with Trinity, uh, but yeah. they started off with a, you know, a powerful Trinity in the first one, you know, it's like that made, made sense. Um, so yeah, that's okay. my two cents. All right. Fair enough. So I don't, I, I would definitely, I wouldn't, I, I'm definitely going to watch it again. Um, at some point, like I was, I really was like debating, like, do I load this up in the fucking thumb drive and take it to work and watch <laughs> it again at work today? I just, um, not there yet, but not as good as the original, obviously. I don't think that's, I don't think anyone would say that. Um, I think the story was easier to follow than the, the second and third part of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I was not lost in this one at all. There was no, <laughs> there was no confusing moments where I go like, what, what is actually going on here? Right. So it's definitely a clearer story than the, than the previous two. Yeah, um, if you say so, <laughs> well, I was okay. still confused a few parts, but <laughs> well, flush it out then. You know, what's no, what's, I mean, I already mentioned the one part with, uh, uh, why agent Smith and, and Neo were okay. acting the way they were. And then, uh, just some of the, Mexican standoffs and in, in, in it, I, I didn't understand the whole point for them. Um, and you know, maybe I, I'll watch it again and be like, try to really figure it out. And, okay. But then I'll, I'll probably come up with, you know, other solutions that could have been written in it that would have made it made more sense or okay. maybe just delete entire. And that's, that's the thing for me. When I watched it, I got the feeling, you know, my mind was going off. Uh, oh, what could happen next? What could happen next? Cause you know, I, really care about the story and stuff and so right. um and what the the things that they put in it to me i was just like i was like why <laughs> okay so i think i think that's a different type of confusion than what i'm suggesting is um i don't oh, no, remember which stuff yeah yeah i don't remember no, which the, one it was in the in the original trilogy but like what the hell was the point of the merovingian right like i did not understand that character or that role at all, or why it was important that he was a Merovingian. <laughs> and so I, I, he was, he was there to explain stuff about the matrix. I get and, I, and okay. people's motivations and sure. But does it, <laughs> why, but why the Mer like the fact that he was the Merovingian was so important at that time. And I went, <laughs> I don't understand what that has to do with anything. Right. <laughs> the, the, the key maker or whatever, you know, like I was, yeah. I was a little confused the first few times for with those characters, but yeah. agents eight, why agent Smith, uh, you know, was helping Neo. Yeah, I get it. But there was, you know, that's a, because none of it was real. It was all a video game. Sure. Uh, for matrix for, for, for Neo, you yeah. know, <laughs> what's the point? Was it like, real or was it a video game? Right. How to, how, so go ahead. Chaos. So he didn't die. I thought he died in the, in the third episode. He did. Well, that's why it's called resurrections. Yeah. They basically they they brought them back to life, um, and reinserted them into the pods, and rebuilt the matrix a number of times in the interim, basically. And the the Doogie Hauser character 
the Neil Patrick Harris character. He he will always be Doogie Howser. Uh, <laughs> Somebody else called it MPH. <laughs> yeah, Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, yeah. He, he tried to have that cool acronym, you know, nickname for a while. <laughs> MPH. Yeah, but he was he was the main baddie in this one. But he he extrapolate. It, it, you know, when he was telling the story, he basically said that um, they've they've rebuilt the Matrix a number of times, and this is where your like you know your woke anti freedom part comes into play. It was basically any time that they gave uh, humans what they wanted, they rejected the Matrix, and every time they you know had them you know desire certain things or fear certain things or whatever, that's when the Matrix worked. But it really worked when Neo and Trinity were in close proximity to each other, but could not actually be with each other. Like that was the crux of this new matrix was this is the, the perfect iteration of the matrix. As long as they can keep Trinity and Neo from meeting each other in the system, but they were in physical proximity outside of it and physical proximity within it. Cause they right. make uh, a little baby Neo. Uh, well, not necessarily in the matrix because it would be a computer program, but basically it, once they got together, that's when the, the superpowers that they have would be, um, found. Right. So, so let's, let's, let's stop criticizing the matrix and let's talk about it okay. for a minute. Go for um, it. so I'm, I'm curious because I still don't know, like, is it a good thing that the that the people are going to look up and see the new rainbows in the sky and be like, oh, this is a computer simulation, and so and they're all going to reject it, and then that's going to be uh, no power for the robots, and then the, you know the robots are going to get upset and they're going to uh, go back and kill IO and like they they uh, they didn't they left out like where is the balance now because. I thought that's what it ended on was some type of balance where people were supposed to be given the uh, choice whether to stay in the matrix or, or not. Um, and so where did that go? <laughs> well, if there's going to be a sequel, I think that's where the sequel will be explored. If you're asking me where it stands right now. No, I'm saying between the, the third one and, and, the, and the resurrections. Oh, uh, after at- the third one, it was like, okay, you know, they're playing a dangerous game, and the the uh, the Oracle won, and and uh, so they were supposed to get something out of that, which was you know we're not going to destroy Zion again. Okay, so all those people live, but from Neo's point of view, was you know he he wanted to free the people. You know? Right. So I guess if I if. If I'm understanding the question correctly, basically Neo was successful in that the city, the the human city of Zion, was allowed to survive and thrive. However, the machines and their human battery packs also survived outside of that. And then at some point in time, you know, this is the the machine wars that you're talking about. Is there was conflicts amongst the machines, and you know, whole crops were lost. Right. So there's the human city of Zion that, you know, went on to, you know, merge or morph into I, the, the human city of IO as they were rebuilding human civilization. Right. You know, and part of it from information they've gotten from the matrix, um, with you know, the, the merging with technology and whatever, but the, the machine city was still allowed to exist. Like they would still be able to have their human batteries, uh, 
because not everyone was ready to be unplugged from the matrix. Like not everyone wants that free life. And that's my, that's kind of my point is that it seemed like they weren't, the machines weren't giving them the option. Weren't giving who the option? The, the, the people that, you know, that were in the, were in the batteries. Yeah, no, they, they were definitely not given the option, but the human city was not being destroyed. Like anyone who was out was out and any freeborn humans were allowed to survive and do their own thing. So the Neo wanting everyone out obviously did not happen. And I don't even think that that was going to happen. Um, and if we're talking about like the, you know, the, the parallel to current human existence, right? One of the beautiful things about the original matrix was it was very clear. Not everyone wants to be unplugged. Sure. Right? There are and, people that and, enjoy that existence. And, you and can't yeah, even in, in the movie, Trinity almost turned that down. So, um, but I'm, I'm still left with, okay, so what is the point of what they're doing now? Trinity and Neo. Well, it, this was just a love story, man. This was Neo just escaping. And yeah, but so at the end, it. they're going to re- remake the Matrix how, how they see fit. Right. Um, which is not in alignment with keeping anybody uh, under any illusion. Right. Giving everybody basically paradise or something. Um, and so everybody's going to wake up from that because... Yeah. It doesn't fulfill their need to have, you know, desire and, and fear. Yeah. So, so personally, I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> wait, didn't you listen? Aren't you like, I mean, not, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking to yeah. Neo. Like, d- didn't you listen? Like, what, what is your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? And yeah. they're just like, eh, whatever, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, you know, personally, they, they could be the superheroes within the Matrix all they want. Right. And they can, they can awaken people as they see fit within that construct, I guess the only thing that they would need to worry about is all the agents coming after them. Like, you know, in the, in the first trilogy, you know, when Neil goes back into the matrix, he's always doing battle with agent Smith and they're always coming after him. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe in this iteration, he's being left alone. Uh, but ra- rainbows in the sky, bad idea, right? Cracking everyone's illusion. Eh, probably a bad idea as much as, as much as I want to see, you know, human flourishing and human freedom uh, in the real world. Uh, I'm, I'm also no longer delusioned into thinking that that is something that everyone desires, right? No, like, well, it, it's that if, even if they had it, they would destroy it. Hey, yeah, they would. Yeah. And so setting, you know, in, 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 in our real world, right. Freeing the minds of all the people is, has no, is no longer my goal and hasn't been my goal for years. Right. I just want to hang out with all the cool people that already want to, that already are set free or already want to be set free. Right, and we'll just make ourselves as free as possible, and let let everyone you know stuck in their little paradigm be stuck. Like I have no I have no desire to set the world free anymore. Just me, right? Just let me out. If if there's a Neo out there or a Morpheus out there that can set me free and get me out of this particular matrix, like come find me, bro, because I want out. <laughs> um, but everyone else, like leave them. Just leave them. Let's let's you know let's let's rebuild the, our city. Gulch Gulch Io whatever you want to call it, let's go hang out over there and let the battery packs be the battery packs. Yeah. And I think somewhere in the middle, and I've said this before, we, we might be living in the, in the best uh, reality that we can live in. And that is uh, all the useful idiots doing everything. And, uh, and we, we just, you know, tag along for the ride, whatever they give us is, you know, yeah. Uh, better than working for it, for, you know, every little thing for ourselves. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's where I'm at. So where, where is it going to go if they make a five or six or whatever? If this is like the beginning of a new trilogy. Who knows? I have no idea what the production plans are. Um, yeah, I can't, I kind of doubt it. I think this is probably going to be the last one. Okay. Then, then they we'll left see. it. Then they left it at that where once again, it's kind of like the first one ended then, right? Where Neo was the one in the first one and he's within the matrix doing whatever he wants to do and everyone else is stuck. And now this one, he and Trinity are in the matrix doing whatever they want to do. And everyone else is kind of stuck and you don't really know, like you assume that they're going to do good things because Hey, they're the good guys. Um, but yeah, rainbows in the sky and unplugging people who don't want to be unplugged. I'm no longer in alignment with <laughs> Leave it that. Anything right else on the matrix? Nope. All right. Nope. <laughs> uh, I've only got a handful of headlines. Cause again, we're recording this a few days early, so I didn't have a full week uh, to show prep here. So you want to go through some headlines? Sure. All right. Headline. No, Senator Warren greed is not causing inflation. A uh, headline. Here's why justice may demand that Harvey Weinstein goes free. A uh, headline. Police send ludicrous Christmas cards to criminals. A uh, headline. Should the government keep the people from harming themselves? And finally headline. The tyranny of public health any place in particular you want to start this week uh i already agree with all of them but i guess the tyranny of public health all right the tyranny of public health technocrats are taking control of nearly every aspect of our lives political health uh, excuse me public health dominates political discussion today masks vaccines social distancing these are the issues about which we now argue daily not economics or the increasingly volatile geopolitical situation, but public health. And I'm not just talking about the COVID pandemic. Indeed, virtually all aspects of social and political life today are now framed through the idiom of public health. Problems we used to treat as political and social questions are now often presented as medical issues. So critics of Prime Minister Boris Johnson do not simply question his political record. They also brand him a public health problem. As one article puts it, Boris Johnson's dwindling authority is becoming a public health issue. Likewise, Donald Trump was labeled a public health threat by his opponents while in office. Public health has become a principal means to attack a political opponent or a set of political ideas. In 2019, a group of medics even wrote a letter to The Guardian calling a no-deal Brexit a threat to public health. Other critics of Brexit called it a confused concept that threatens public health. As public health has become politicized, politics has become medicalized. The pandemic has intensified this medicalization of politics. There is now virtually nothing that cannot be conceived as a public health issue. Take racism. Writing in The Lancet earlier this year, identitarian academic Kehinde Andrews insisted that racism is a public health crisis. In the U.S., the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Rochelle Walensky, made a similar claim earlier this year. Racism is a serious public health threat that directly affects the well-being of millions of Americans, she said. The CDC has since launched a new racism and health web portal. All this changes the very meaning of racism. Racial oppression used to be understood in terms of political, social, and economic domination. Now it is understood in terms of ill health, 
The racially oppressed are now as likely to be seen as patients in need of medical intervention as they are victims of political injustice. Racism isn't just unfair, it's making us ill, complains Guardian contributor. Likewise, anti-racism campaigners portray racism as a mental health problem. Student supporters of the Roads Must Fall movement at the Oxford University have claimed that they feel traumatized by the presence of the Cecil Rhodes statue. Increasingly, the presentation of a social problem as a supposed threat to public health is a means to draw attention to it. That is why President Biden recently chose to condemn gun violence as a public health epidemic. Unable to present a critique of violence and crime in moral terms, he decided to offer one through the language of medicine. Virtually every dimension of life has been framed as a matter of public health. Homophobia is a health issue, argues one academic. Uh, Gambling is too. So are climate change and war. Even boredom has been categorized as a threat to public health. The most fundamental of existential conditions are now being reduced to medical problems. Take public health advocates' focus on loneliness, which it charities meant, uh, which the Char- Charities Mental Health Foundation and Ages Scotland called the public health challenge of our time. When the very normal condition of loneliness, which millions of people face daily, is transformed into a medical condition, then something is going seriously wrong. Loneliness is a predicament that requires the engagement of friends, families, and communities, not doctors. Yet it is now being turned into a target of public health intervention. By recasting a challenge facing a community as a medical condition, public health advocates transform people into parties and dehumanize the human condition. The public health lobby reduces complex emotional experiences to quantifiable units. This allows public health technocrats to claim that loneliness is a comparable risk factor for early death as smoking 15 cigarettes a day and is worse for us than well-known risk factors such as obesity and physical inactivity. In doing so, they established loneliness as a legitimate justification for public health intervention, just like smoking or obesity. The politicization of public health would be less of a problem if it only helped people to live healthy lives. But that is not its function. Public health is now about moral regulations, and as we have seen during the pandemic, political control. When almost anything can become a target for public health intervention, the very distinction between public health, uh, excuse me, the very distinction between health and illness is eroded. People are encouraged to regard themselves as patients in need of medical support rather than citizens capable of overcoming any adversity they might face. Public health used to be a sensible project. It used to be about protecting health and life, but now it has become a means to regulate people's behavior and lifestyle. And governments are now drawing on its moral authority to enforce their will on society. In its current politicized form, the ideology and practice of public health is a direct threat to freedom and democracy. Rolling back the influence of public health on politics is one of the most important tasks facing us today. End of the article. Uh, So your thoughts, uh, I'll just follow up with a question last day. Is it uh, one of the most important tasks facing us today? Well, there's a lot of important tasks um but yeah uh, i think i think uh, politics is probably uh, the greatest threat to people's health you know so, if, if especially so if you political get signs political campaign signs should be accompanied by a surgeon general's warning that this should be this could be dangerous to your health or a trigger warning at least 
you know how you know how antagonized and my anxiety kicks in every time I see a Biden Harris bumper sticker or a, or a mega hat. Like I just I just want to shut down. I can't function when I see those things. My health is at risk. Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately, when once the politicians completely take over, they're going to do something stupid like start a war, uh, or you know, start a civil war or whatever. And so, um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna become a health issue uh, eventually. Politics. Okay. Now, but, are you are you being yeah. facetious? Because that kind of seems like what the article is implying that everything, you know, turns into a public health issue when it's really well, not that, I mean, we're alive. That's like the issue is that we're going okay. to die. And so, you know, that it's, it's really cheap for politicians and to, to, to frame everything as a health issue uh, because that's, that's the ultimate, you know, and uh, it's probably why they're doing it because it'll continue to work for them uh, forever, you know? So, Yeah. For for the kids, for the old people, for your health, mm-hmm. right? We're doing we're doing this for, for your own good. Yeah, it's, and and so now you don't have to say it's for the kids anymore because you know kids kids are susceptible to illness too. So and and old people and and middle aged people and and so you know health is the one thing that's like oh well it's if it's for health we can do it. Um, and it used to you know for the, for the military it used to be for well if it's for our defense then we can do it. Uh, so defense health uh, you know. Uh, I don't think everything should be uh, done by the government. Um, and the, the, the least it does better, you know? So it was recently brought to my attention that some, uh, there's a few cities here in the state of New Hampshire that have reinstituted the, the mask policy. I was like, okay, so I'm going to have to ignore that again. Right. Like it never, right. it never affected me in the first place. And I guess at least out in Keene, um, uh, I read one article or something that said like even the chief of police was speaking out against it. Like they don't even want to enforce it. So why are they even doing this? <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, okay, good. Right. You know, if they're, the police don't want to enforce it, then just let it be, you know, that's, right. that makes it null and void right there. So don't even worry about it. Um, but again, it's, you know, again, it, I'm sure it has something to do with the, the Omicron variant, right? Yeah. How deadly see a lot that of things. Is that people in government do are, are actually because they think they're virtuous. And so it's virtue signaling, but they're doing it with the threat of violence on people. Um, you know, same, same thing with, uh, making, uh, pot legal or illegal. It's like, it shouldn't be up to them, Yeah, uh, but they think it is. And they, they think, well, since I can say something about it and somebody might listen to me, then it's my obligation to say that X, Y, or Z is bad or, or you should do X, Y, or Z. And so that, yeah, they should, you know, they should keep their opinions to themselves. Um, but unfortunately they, they usually don't. So, okay. What about celebrities and their opinions? Cause that's another one. That's a hot topic issue right now um, is like, why would you listen to celebrities who have, you know, no knowledge or background or anything in this area? Yeah. Uh, well, the same thing is that some of them might have some knowledge, you know, and it's, it's if you want to put yourself out there and, and maybe you'll sound like an idiot because, you know, you don't actually know what you're talking about and, and, and maybe you actually do find out something. Maybe you actually talk to some doctors and some doctors relay that information. It's like sure. I don't have to be an expert on every virus to know a lot about the coronavirus. Well, why do I know a little bit about the coronavirus or a lot? Because, well, it's 
the thing that they're trying to shut down reality for, you know, it's like, right. But I guess so my I, point is that if you, if you had that platform, right? Like if, if you had the status of celebrity mm-hmm. and you were an influencer of the opinions and behaviors of others, wouldn't, would you not do the same thing that they're doing? And our only problem is that we disagree with them. Not that they're using that platform to, to get their message across. Well, I think, I think, you know, c- celebrities are taking all different sides on this issue. So, um, I think that's okay. You know, I, I have no problem with, uh, celebrities doing saying what there, was on their mind and okay. um, more people listening to them. But I think, I think there's a problem when the, it's, it's only a problem when the politicians get involved. Okay. So big bird and Elmo pushing the, the vaccine, no big deal. Um, are they funded by the government? I mean, it's P- I think it's technically PBS. So they're, yeah. <laughs> so or, I, I think, or maybe they're owned by HBO. Now I forget how that, <laughs> how that shook out. Yeah. So yeah, I don't really care um, okay. as, as long as I'm allowed to counter their opinions and and listen to people that that have other opinions besides them, you know. Okay. Or what about the the, the White House's you know um, indirect threat? Vaccine people are you know they're they're I forget what the the, the picture said or the the White House press said, but it's basically you know vaccine people you, we're at the end of the rope you know it's next next comes the stick basically was. <laughs> yeah, you remember seeing well, this i mean bring it on i guess okay. <laughs> i don't really have a, a, a say in that right so <laughs> i mean do you have a say no but you know are you are, are you with people that you know are going to resist i guess is the bigger question yeah i mean as much as i can okay i've resisted it so far i mean so that's that <laughs> all right fair enough moving on Moving on. All right. What do we got next here then? Oh, similar idea then. Let's do this one. Uh, should the government keep people from harming themselves? I think we, you know, straight answer is no. always right there. Should the government? Uh, no. No. So I got, a, I, I got to open up a Christmas present early, and it was a hoodie. And it just says, sh- uh, should the government, uh, and then dot, 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 and then big letters. It says, nope. You know, it was, it was perfect. And it's, it's a black hoodie with like yellow lettering too. So it's like, you know, rocks those colors for me as well. So yeah. Very excited <laughs> about that Christmas present. Uh, should the government keep people from harming themselves? Nope. Uh, the only freedom which deserve the name that is pursuing our own good in our own way. So long as we do not attempt to deprive others of theirs or impede their efforts to attain it. Each is the proper guardian of his own health, whether bodily or mental and spiritual. Mankind are greater gainers by suffering each other to live as seems good to themselves than by compelling each to live as seems good to the rest. A quote from John Stuart Mill. And another one from Ronald Reagan. Government exists to protect us from each other. Where government has gone beyond its limits is in deciding to protect us from ourselves. Is keeping people from harming themselves a legitimate function of government? The government certainly thinks so, and many people would agree. Here are three recent unrelated news stories with different degrees of potential or actual government intervention. Uh, The first one. A 20-year-old college student in Massachusetts died after participating in a hot dog eating contest to raise money for breast cancer research. Although I like hot dogs, I've never been a participant. I have, however, seen events like this on television. 
whenever something bad happens at one of these events, and even sometimes when nothing bad happens except, uh, up, except an upset stomach and diarrhea, there are always calls for government to ban competitive eating contests. Although earlier this year, China banned competitive eating contests, I have not seen governments in the United States do it yet. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has issued voluntary guidance to help Americans reduce their sodium intake. Excess sodium consumption is a contributory factor in the development of hypertension, which is a leading cause of heart disease and stroke, the first and fifth leading cause of death in the United States, respectively. The FDA wants to limit the amount of sodium that restaurants and grocery manufacturers can add to the foods you buy so that you don't consume more than 3,000 milligrams of sodium per day. I had never heard of comedian Kate Quigley until I read that she landed in a hospital and three of her friends died from an accidental overdose of cocaine and fentanyl at a party in California. Although cocaine and fentanyl are both illegal, the U.S. government and drug warriors are obsessed with the dangers of fentanyl right now. Fentanyl is killing and wrecking average Americans, said Kevin Kosar, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Based on data from the Commonwealth Fund, he claims that more than 50,000 Americans died from it last year alone. Although unrelated, these three events have something in common. They all relate, in some way, to the notion of government keeping people from harming themselves. Should the government keep people from harming themselves? Absolutely not, and for two reasons. First of all, keeping people from harming themselves is an illegitimate function of government. In the words of men wiser than me, uh, I would have government defend the life and property of all citizens equally, protect all willing exchange, suppress and penalize all fraud, all misrepresentation, all violence, all predatory practices, invoke a common justice under law, and keep the records incidental to these functions. Even this is a bigger assignment than governments generally have proven capable of, let governments do these things and do them well. Leave all else to men in free and creative efforts uh, from Leonard Reed. And another quote from James Madison. Government is instituted to protect property of every sort, as well as that which lies in the various rights of individuals, as that which the term particularly expresses. This being the end of government, that alone is a just government with impartially secure to every man whatever is his own. And second, a man's body belongs to himself. Not you, not me, not society, not the state, not some governmental agency, not some puritanical busybody, not some government bureaucrat, and not some nanny status. And if man's body belongs to himself, then he can do what he wants with it. What these things mean is that no government at any level has any businesses keeping people from consuming any substance or engaging in any activity that may bring them harm. The government should attempt to prevent people from being uh, ingesting or ingesting, ingesting or injecting any unsafe, risky, dangerous, harmful, or deadly substance, or punish people for, for doing so. The government should not attempt to prevent people from overeating, getting obese, starving themselves, eating an unhealthy diet, practicing unsafe sex, getting drunk or stoned, overdosing on liquor or drugs, mutilating themselves, or committing suicide, or punish people for doing so. Should family, friends, groups, employers, organizations, and other interested parties seek to prevent people from doing these things? Of course they should, but only with reason and persuasion, not with threats, coercion, or violence. Those are the tools of government. I began with John Stuart Mill, and I can end with him as well. Uh, quote, the only purpose from which power can be rightfully exercised over any member of civilized community against his will 
is to prevent harm to others. His own good, either physical or moral, is not sufficient warrant. He cannot rightfully be compelled to do or forbear because it would be better for him to do so, because it will make him happier, because in the opinion of others to do so would be wise or even right. These are the good reasons for remonstrating, uh, remonstrating with him or reasoning with him or persuading him or entreating him, but not for compelling him or visiting him with any evil in case he does otherwise. To justify that, uh, the conduct from which it is desired to deter him must be calculated to produce evil to someone else. The only part of the conduct of anyone for which he is amenable to society is that which concerns others. In the part which merely concerns himself, his independence is of right absolute. Over himself, over his own body and mind, the individual is sovereign. The individual is sovereign, not the state or society. Uh, end of the article. Uh, pretty straightforward. Any any point of disagreement here or anything to add? No, sounds good to me. All right. I guess th- this is, again, if we want to go back to the COVID thing, this is the, the you know, the, the last part there is why the government feels they can step in and control, right? Because it's it, your decisions no longer just impact you according to them, right? You must uh, take the vaccine or wear the mask or whatever, not, not because you don't have autonomy over your own health and body, uh, but because by not doing those things, you are now putting others at risk. And that is where the state can step in to protect others who are complying from you, the non-compliant. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, you you say whatever, but that's that's what they're doing. And they have convinced the vast majority of people that that is the way, right? Yeah, and and that's fine. Like, there's, you know, I'm not saying that they're not rational at all. I'm just saying they're not right, so... All right. Fair enough. Yeah. So basically it would go like this. Imagine uh, coronavirus was 10 or a hundred times worse or more deadly than it is. Well, then you wouldn't have to make a decree because people would self-regulate. People would go, Oh, there's people dying in the street. I'm not going out there. And you'd have 10 times less people out there right now than there would be uh, with the government decrees. Um, So, it's it's absolutely ridiculous you know do you think that's how they got the compliance so early on is because they pushed that narrative on the public before anyone could really understand what was happening right because i I, again you go back to the the go ahead a a lot of it is is uh uh depending on what you call compliance because um a lot of corporations and stuff shut down voluntarily um you know for the for the two-week shutdown whatever um but walmart didn't you know companies that you know supermarkets didn't they say oh well we're we're essential and you know i'm I'm thinking anybody with a job is essential but um so a lot of things shut down uh but i went to walmart every day because you know they were open and i'm like well i've got nothing better to do i'm gonna go to walmart you know it's like walmart's pretty cool I guess what I'm talking about is before that. I remember, you know, when it when it was first like the the Wuhan flu, this thing's coming out of China, right? There were pictures and news reports of Chinese people just dropping dead in the street, right? There were pictures yeah, of mean, them that, like to me that, that wrangling them with obvi- nooses. It was it was obviously false, 
uh, and propaganda. So, well, I don't know how obvious that was in the beginning. Like, I, I think it was. I well, I'm I'm also I'm also very heavily skeptical about anything that comes out of China. So, okay, I mean it's a healthy I, skepticism. I don't know if I bought into it at that time either. But that's what I'm saying is I don't know how obvious it was to the vast majority of people because it was so early on where mm-hmm. they go like we have this flu coming out of China and you know here's images of people dropping dead in the street right so you you instill that level of fear into the public and because that's where they started with they've been able to control and manipulate um you know the vast majority of people around from then on right like you don't want to drop dead in the street so you need to quarantine and then you know when the with the masks run out and the people like right now it's it's a little harder to contain because people are like well we didn't experience that, right? There weren't people being wrangled or dropping in the street. Uh, there's a bunch of people who, you know, died in the hospitals, right? You know, there, there's, a, there's, I don't want to say an insignificant number, but there's a substantial number of COVID deaths, you know? Yeah. So it's hard to ignore that fact. And there are people at a high risk that don't want to catch it, right? They, I just, I can't be around that. And they have to take, you know, steps necessary for that. Um, but it seems like that level of fear uh, was made possible because of how they how they used that propaganda early on. Maybe I I really think that uh, the guy that was talking about uh, mass formation was was closer to to write about uh, the the mental process people were going through. Okay, and that is uh, there's basically high level anxiety. Uh, among people all around the world. And one of the things that is, is causing that is uh, people's interaction with social media. And so um, people are connected to information and, and terrible information all the time. Um, they're constantly been inundated by, you know, climate crisis, this, uh, uh, you know, Trump crisis, that, whatever it is. All of which are health crises all of a sudden. And so now, and now you get something that is actually real. It's not a crisis, but it's actually real, and it's actually killing people, and it is a real problem. But that basically, you know, it it, it was unleashed on a mind that was already uh, super anxious. And so, and that's that's why uh, politicians, doctors, um, you know, scientists, all these people uh, were susceptible to getting this wrong. And, and figuring out how deadly it was going to be, um, and 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 making a, a stupid reaction uh, to that the way they did, um, and so it's not it's not like there was a, a centrally planned uh, propaganda to to make everybody afraid. It's just people are already primed to being that way. Okay, fair. Moving on. Moving on. All right. This one this one could get into the realm of controversial. So let's do this before we run out of time here. Uh, here's why justice may demand that Harvey Weinstein goes free. Yeah. Huh? Huh? Okay. Okay. Now I will, I, I don't know if I'm on record, um, uh, here or maybe just, uh, elsewhere, but <clears throat> I don't, how do I want to put this? Harvey Weinstein did nothing wrong. And I'll just leave it. There as <laughs> really? Is. What's that? Really? Well, Let's talk about it. Let's get through the article and then I'll, I'll defend, I'll defend my point here. 
Uh, New York appellate judge grilled the district attorney prosecuting Harvey Weinstein so intently this week that it appears they are poised to overturn his criminal, criminal conviction. The thought that a man who evaded justice for so long may do so again is infuriating. Whatever joy we experienced from the Weinstein's February 2020 conviction for rape and assault now feel like an old memory of a moment when the Me Too movement uh, proved that women had rights and powerful people could be held to account. But as maddening as it is that Weinstein's conviction may be overturned, his lawyer's argument for appeal are sound and frustrations may be better focused on the prosecutors rather than the court. While it may appear that these are technical legal maneuvers, in fact, the evidentiary question at issue goes to the core values of our legal system. Prosecutors are supposed to prove the criminals they have charged using evidence that they show the defendants committed the crime at issue. It is well-established legal principle that prosecutors are not supposed to use the defendant's character or character traits to prove that they committed the crime that they are being tried for. Prosecutors and defense counsel regularly wrangle over what information is allowed to be heard by the jury in a criminal trial. This especially applies in cases related to sexual crimes, where evidence of the defendant's prior bad sexual acts is considered so prejudicial to the jury, making them more likely to convict, rather uh, regardless of the evidence of the crime they are in fact being tried for, that the correct ruling is generally to exclude that evidence. A more typical example of these evidentiary concerns arises when prosecutors try defendants for drug sales. Prosecutors regularly attempt to bring in evidence about the defendant's prior drug cases to prove their case that the defendant made the drug sale that they are being tried for. Prosecutors will need to use witnesses and other evidence to prove to the jury that the defendant made the sale. Prosecutors will also bring in evidence of the defendant's prior drug charges with the defense counsel objecting and the trial court judge determining whether or not the jury should be permitted to hear about the prior convictions or even charges. The determinations that judges must make often fall into two categories, ruling under Sandoval and ruling under Molyneux. When trial court judges make evidentiary rulings under Sandoval, they're determining whether the prejudicial effects of impeachment testimony far outweighs the probative worth of the evidence on the issue of credibility. In other words, does telling the jury about the defendant's prior drug charge in order to attack the credibility of the defendant make it worth entering even if it makes the juror associate the defendant with bad acts and therefore make them more likely to rule against them? And when they make decisions under Molyneux, Judges are deciding whether the evidence fits within one of the myriad exceptions to allowing evidence other than to simply demonstrate the defendant has a propensity for bad acts. The 2020 arrest record of New York of New Yorkers show that 93% of those arrested for rape and 91% of those arrested for other felony sex crimes were not white. It becomes easy to see how bringing in prior bad actions may inflame jurors' implicit racial biases and why a criminal system that seeks justice has an interest in keeping the trial focused on the facts of the specific crime being prosecuted. Despite the, the established legal principle of not using prior bad acts of the defendant to impugn the character, defense lawyers often lose evidentiary arguments in New York, both at trial and on appeal. In Weinstein's case, prosecutors were permitted to bring in evidence regarding 28 prior bad acts, ranging from Weinstein's flipping a table of food at his brother to allegations of sexual assault outside the statute of limitations made by women who therefore could not have their crimes prosecuted. Although the jury was instructed by the judge 
not to use the evidence of prior bad acts to make an inference on Weinstein's propensity to commit the crimes he was charged with. Weinstein's lawyers argue that it is not possible for the jurors to have heard about all these incidents and not conclude that since Weinstein uh, has the propensity to commit crimes, therefore he committed the crimes he was being tried for. The question boils down to this. Did the jurors convict Weinstein because the prosecutors provided, proved, excuse me, prosecutors proved he committed these crimes or did, did they convict him because they were convinced someone who had previously acted so abominably would commit those crimes? His lawyers are arguing for the latter. It's a frustratingly good argument for those of us who have followed the extensive reporting on Weinstein's misdeeds over the decades. The argument makes intuitive sense. After learning of Weinstein's pattern of abuses behavior over the years, it is easy to believe that he committed any act he was accused of without hearing anything more. But this is not how the criminal justice system is supposed to work. Jurors were supposed to decide if Weinstein raped and assaulted specific women based on the evidence related to those incidences, not whether he is generally a bad person who does bad things and is therefore guilty of any accusation laid at his door. While the overturning of Bill Cosby's conviction was also infuriating, that had to do with a different, narrower set of issues involving a verbal agreement from a previous DA not to prosecute. But Weinstein's appeal is about bigger questions that have much broader implications for the justice system and many people without his fame or fortune who are put through it. So yes, the prospect that Weinstein's conviction will be overturned is maddening. But so is the fact that prosecutors gave Weinstein's attorney fodder for appeal rather than proving their case on its merits. If Weinstein's case is uh, conviction is overturned, hopefully the court's interest in overzealous prosecution does some good for the poor black and brown defendants who struggle with the same evidentiary questions every day. End of the article. So from the beginning, um, this, this may be a simplification, but basically my understanding of you know, what, uh, what the media was accusing Harvey Weinstein of doing was um, forcing young actresses to have sex with him in order to get a role um, and like, you know, boost their career right like that's um sh- sure um and but i've heard other explanations um i i, I didn't really follow it too much because i don't really care that much but um i forget the one really popular girl's name that that uh made the biggest deal about it and probably is responsible for him being in prison okay but she 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 basically said that that he uh prevented her from leaving the room and 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 she felt so threatened that she uh, didn't resist. So, um, so so I you know I could say you know probably did he actually rape people? I'd say probably he did, but I don't really know. I mean that's one of those things. If it's in okay. court and you have to have evidence and stuff, maybe right. I wouldn't convict him. But um, I will th- th- I, will, I will say you have more information than me then. Because for me, it was basically quid pro quo, um, sex for job type of a thing. Right. And I think it was more than that. Okay. I definitely think it was more than that. Um, how, and so then it became, you know, I've heard the other defense too of, well, you know, why would you go into a room with this creep? You know, you could have said, come down to the lobby, you know, we'll talk there. Um, and so that's the whole personal responsibility thing. But still, even if you go to somebody's room uh, and it's some famous director or whatever, that doesn't give them the right to rape you. So understood. Um, but if you go uh, to their room and they say, if you really want this part, 
They're, right. Know, this that's, is what has to be done. totally separate thing. So okay. I, I think he probably actually did rape people. Um, and how, how much of that is, is, is the female's responsibility and, you know, and, and how much of it was, well, obviously he's a creep, but, okay. um, but yeah, I, I think he, he, he probably did cross that line. Um, but proving it in court is a whole another thing. Okay. So I, I'm just going to, you know, from my point of view, um, I don't really care if he's in prison, you know, um, I'm, I'm more think that some of these things should be solved in maybe a little bit different way, you know? Sure. Um, I will, if evidence comes out that you are correct, I would gladly recant. Right. But like I said, my knowledge is based on quid pro quo from a, from the free market libertarian anarchist perspective, right? We have always argued that the job is the, you know, job providers to offer you, right? And that they can offer that job um, however they wish, right? If they, requ- yeah. if they require a certain training or certain acts, whatever be performed in order to get that job, then you and everyone else can choose whether or not that it's worth it to get that job and, you know, decide accordingly. Whether or not, sure, he, sure. whether or not he crossed that line, you know, like you said, you believe he did. There's no evidence, you know, yet that, has come out that it was, you know, actually those situations. So who knows, but if it's, if it's his job to give and it's his movie studio or whatever, you know, producing it, um, there, there are probably actresses, right. Who are much lesser well-known making far less money doing far smaller gigs, right. Because they held their high ground and didn't sleep with Harvey Weinstein. Um, and then there are ones making, you know, tens of millions of dollars per movie, uh, because earlier on in their career, they did. And so for them at the time, totally worth it, right? And then now that they've made the money, then they go back and go like, no, totally, fucking that guy raped me. It's totally rape, right? You know, because it's it's the uh, politically correct thing to say in the middle of that Me Too movement, you know? Like they, the, like they had no idea what was going on. Like they didn't, had no free choice in the matter at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but their, their careers were made, you know, for a handful of them, right. The careers were made based on that decision at that point in time. Um, and that's, that's the basis for my statement. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So whether or not he goes free, I guess it depends on, you know, again, in this case, whether or not you believe he crossed the line, right. A moral or an ethical line or whether or not it's just, you know, the legal line that he crossed because the state deems that offering uh, offering a job for a sexual act is somehow, you know, inappropriate. But the market could sort it yeah. out, right? If you, yeah, if, I, and I don't really care about that either. If somebody wants to offer somebody a job or, or threaten somebody's job or whatever for, yeah, um, you know, for sex, that's that whatever. It's not the the biggest issues in the in the world that the government needs to fix. So, but they do, right? Because that's you know, people came forward. And he was convicted, and then now it might be overturned. So who knows? Right. And right. so I, I think, you know, uh, one of the, yeah, obviously one of the reasons why he was convicted is because everybody thinks he's a creep. But yeah, um, and that's not how the legal system should. And work. and that's the thing. I don't know actually how much evidence there was. Um, like I didn't watch the trials, yeah. so 
whatever. Based, based on this article, enough to get enough for an appeal, right? An appeal that might be overturned. So they, the prosecutors clearly didn't have as much evidence as they thought they did or that as much as they needed. Um, sure. Based on this article. All right. Yeah. Final thoughts? Uh, no. Right. Uh, are we in the matrix? Uh, um, I want to say no because I have not seen Neo flying around anywhere. Nor do I see. If you weird saw matters. Neo flying around, would you uh, immediately jump out of a window? No. <laughs> no. Or be like, oh, I'm I'm happy in here until until I naturally or programmatically die. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm, I'm saying I would happy here, but I don't think jumping out jumping out of the window doesn't set you free. Well, right? you, might, you might die or you might fly. Yeah. And, man, how do I want to put this? There are people that believe that as long as you believe, you can manifest anything. Right. And the only reason <laughs> you would fall because you jump out of that window is because you don't believe enough that you can actually yeah. fly. Right. And I think that's dangerous. It sure is. All right. That'll do it for us. You guys know where to find us uh, in the Matrix on anarchistexperience.com. On Telegram, t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. And if you would like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you all next week. Peace.